All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops, the third in my sporty series. You may have heard already me chatting to Catherine Bonmure, the founder of the brand new all-female racing series, the W Series, along with drivers Alice Powell and Emma Kimmelainen. You might have heard me chatting to Jackie Forsyth and Claire Marie Roberts about their excellent book, The Exercising Female. If you haven't listened to those, I very much suggest you do. But in this episode, a few weeks ago, you might have heard me chatting to Sarah Train, one of Kick It Out's professional club's equality officers, about the sadly topical issue of racism in football. We actually had a much longer chat when I met her back in April about the wider work of Kick It Out to eradicate discrimination of all kinds in football. They're working on tackling racism, homophobia, sexism and more in all levels of the game. And it's worth mentioning this excellent chat is topical again this week as the FA and Heads Together launched their Heads Up campaign to use football as a means to tackle the stigma of mental health. Racism, homophobia, sexism, none of that is very good for the noggin of the person on the receiving end of it. So we're extremely lucky that organisations like Kick It Out exist and I hope very much that you will enjoy this chat. Hey there you lot. If you want to follow every aspect of our lives on social media, and why wouldn't you, because you're only human, you can! 
We're on Twitter as a team at Standard Issue UK or individually on at Inspiragen, at That Dunleavy and at Mixter Noonan. And I'd like to think it'll be fairly obvious who's who. We're on Facebook as well at Standard Issue Magazine and even Instagram at Standard Issue Podcast. Come to us. Look at our faces. I'm joined by Sarah Train, Professional Clubs Equality Officer for the South at Kick It Out. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Jen. I think most people listening to the podcast will have heard of Kick It Out and know what it's about. But can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do here? Absolutely. Well, it's a great time to to interview us because it's a 25-year anniversary of Kick It Out this year. We were set up in 1993 as a campaigning body to kick racism out of football. And since then, over the course of the last certainly seven or eight years, we've evolved into an anti-discriminatory body, looking at all forms of discrimination rather than just racism. There are a number of different things that we do at Kick It Out. Um, We have a, a pro clubs team, which I'm a part of. There's four of us, and we work nationally with Premier League football clubs and the EFL which is the English Football League. There are 92 clubs uh, in total with the EFL and the Premier League and we have a northern officer, a mids and the southern one which is myself and we work with clubs on the Premier League equality standard and the EFL codes of practice and what they are are equality standards that are set out by the Premier League and the EFL, both of which are governed by the Equality Act. And within the Equality Act, there are nine protected characteristics, and we work with clubs to ensure that those characteristics are included and welcomed into environments that quite often they feel not welcomed into. There are various uh, levels and uh, ways of doing this, but generally that's what we do. That's the pro clubs team. Kick it out also as a grassroots team, education and training team, and we're obviously driven by our campaigning work. So you guys are celebrating your 25th year We are this year, and you have been in the press quite a lot recently, rather unfortunately. And I wanted to ask you a bit more about that. I think probably the thing that most listeners would have heard about in the press is the Manchester City footballer Raheem Sterling and recently Danny Rose, Mm. who plays for Spurs, Mm. who have both been quite vocal about the racism that they've experienced as players. And that's been very high profile because Danny Rose even went as far as to say that he's sort of looking forward to finishing his career so he doesn't have to deal with this anymore yeah absolutely which is horrifying yes it is and I think we're all in agreement that that is completely horrifying unfortunately it's of no surprise and it was only going to be a matter of time before a high profile player like Danny came out and said that um, basically enough is enough our educational head of development rather um, Troy Townsend is very very vocal and he's been in the press an awful lot recently discussing this case in particular but it's just one of many many incidents and, and many experiences that players have at all tiers of the football national leagues in this country and Danny and Raheem are in a position where they're mouthpieces basically for, for the rest of you know many many players that experience similar things but yeah it's a sad situation Situation. It's an angering situation, it's an upsetting situation and it's one that we are trying to deal with from a kick-it-out perspective in working with both the players and the clubs to address the issues that are driven and manifested by so many different things, both within football stadiums or outside. We're all aware there are drivers to, to situations like this 
from a political standpoint and we've all got our own you know very very strong opinions on those but what we have to focus on as a campaigning body is making sure that we work within the confines of football professional football and work with governing bodies and other stakeholders to ensure that that messages of, of strength and unity and, and zero tolerance gets out there in as many forms and as many ways as possible so that we can all collectively continue to challenge you know, racism and other forms of discrimination that are very prevalent within the game. How big a problem is this? Because um, we're told it's a minority of fans, but it's starting to look to me like this is a much bigger problem than any of us sat at home watching on the telly maybe understand. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that. I would agree that it is a far bigger problem than people are aware of. I would agree that it is the minority of fans that have such such opinions and and choose to verbalise and behave in a way that, you know, in in normal everyday society would be completely unacceptable. It's against the law. You know, there are hate crimes um, being committed every week within stadiums, and we work closely with the clubs and the football policing units to make sure that we can deal with them in the best way that we can. And those ways often end in football banning orders. But a large part of what we try and do is work within um, education uh, and training and provide education and training for people that are accused and, and found, you know, found to be behaving like this. The size of the problem, of course, is is. As I said before, it's a lot bigger than anybody, I think, would understand. These things have always been there, but this happens in the professional game and it happens at grassroots level as well. One would argue or could argue that we're more aware of it now, obviously because of press coverage, the, the impact that social media can have as a platform for good and bad, but also reporting procedures have improved at length by both us, you know, using... We've got a Kick It Out app that every single club promotes... We've also got Kick It Out direct reporting email. We have two dedicated reporting officers here who work closely, as I said before, with the football policing units and the clubs. Most clubs also have the facility for fans to report directly to them. It's just a case of improving processes, making sure that people feel comfortable and safe to report. And I'd like to expand on that because people often feel fearful about reporting for a number of different reasons, particularly if personal details have to be divulged. Obviously, here at Kick It Out, we can report and work with clubs uh, without having personal details from whoever it is that's reporting incidences. We also work with the FA when it's in excess of five people that are, that are participating in behaviours that are unacceptable. I don't know if incidences are on the increase or whether we're just more alert to them coupled with the reporting procedures. But in terms of the high-profile incidences with, with Raheem and Danny particularly, it's a bit of a sweet moment for us in history, in football history actually, because... You know, although it's it's forcing the issue, it's forcing people to sit up and take notice and act directly, we obviously don't want these incidences to be there. And the whole idea of, of Kick It Out and what we do is that we eliminate discrimination in all its forms. But it is a particularly contentious time in history, and we're very aware of that. The political landscape for such incidents sort of seems pretty right for the it does I'm not really sure if that's the correct expression but um, <laughs> yeah I guess if, if you are that way inclined then um, yeah the floor is very much yours that's right yeah I think it's I think it's really important to note that it's not the fault of our politics within this country 
that what we're seeing happening at football matches up and down the country, it's not a result of that. But what I would say is that it's almost given the green light and the licence for people to air opinions that usually they would be a little bit more reluctant to. This is what what you hear a lot, isn't it, is that the political landscape at the moment has emboldened people to express views that they may not otherwise have felt able to do so. And that does actually bring me on to another point. It seems to me that the only way to really wheedle these people out is to impose really, really tough sanctions on clubs because what it needs to be is socially unacceptable. Mm. And at the moment, it seems like, and obviously you've said people sometimes are afraid to take action, but I think it needs to be a situation where bystanders watching these events call it out Mm. and they say, Mm. no, we're not having this. And the only way that that can really be incentivised is to impose really tough sanctions on clubs like points deductions. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a double header there, actually. And um, in terms of people calling behaviour out and challenging people, you know, within the stadiums and on the terraces, much of our focus and much of the work that's done, we work in partnership with the Fans for Diversity movement. And it's it's a strong belief of ours and, uh, and the Fans for Diversity that... That the power lies within, you know, within the hands of the fans, as well as the authorities, to ensure that things that are challenged directly, incidences are challenged directly within within the stands as opposed to on the pitch. We're very keen to focus a lot of our work on that moving forward. In terms of points deduction, that's out of our control, obviously. Sure. And there's yeah. there's some very strong schools of thoughts around whether that should happen whether it shouldn't happen, you know, my personal opinion isn't one that I want to go into, but in terms of kick it out and the work that we do, we're in favour of whatever it is that helps the players and whatever it is that imposes sanctions to ensure that we can, you know, not behave like this on the head. That's an ongoing discussion and the Premier League and the FA and UEFA will have to sit down and, and think very, very hard and very long on the sanctions that they want to see imposed. But we work with them um, as much as we can, and we hope that because of, as I said earlier on, because of the the very high-profile incidences, it's kind of forced people's hands, and we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. This is a women's podcast, and we do like to talk about women's sport, where women's football has sort of been seen as a bit of a safe haven compared to men's football mm. in a lot of respects. But, unfortunately, as I have recently been seeing stories... You know, we've seen violence, I think, what is it, a couple of weeks ago, the Chelsea Women's Champions League game against Paris Saint-Germain, there was a coach load of of thugs basically Mm, arrested afterwards. Yeah. But staying on subject, we've seen Renee Hector, who plays for Spurs, she was racially abused by Sophie Jones, Mm -hmm. the Sheffield United forward, who was banned for five games and then subsequently sacked by the club, which is obviously a longer situation, but banned for five games? Yeah. I mean, presumably that is by, by the league. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's actually, Jen, a, diff- a difficult one to comment on because there was an investigation into it. We know the outcome now, of course, mm-hmm. is that the club has, um, has sacked her. An initial sanction of five games was a difficult decision to come to, I'm sure. Renee Hector has since taken up her place you know, in, in Spurs Ladies and is doing exceptionally well. But a very difficult um, incident because it was reasonably high profile. Both players, of course, experienced a high 
level of press attention. And as far as Renee Hector's concerned, she then subsequently experienced a hell of a lot of, mm. um, you know, racist trolling uh, on social media and still is. But it is worth saying yeah. that these women do not play for the Premier League. They no. Do, they, they probably, I imagine, have other jobs as well. And, Absolutely. And well, again, that's an in, it's an interesting point because the answer is no, they don't in terms of, you mentioned the money earlier on, they don't, of course, earn anywhere near their male counterparts. However, I will say that, um, you know, having been in the game, as it were, for quite a long time and aware of the development of women's football over the years, the clubs themselves are very concerned and work very proactively with their women's teams in a holistic way, dare I use the word, in terms of not only what happens on the pitch, but everything that happens outside of the pitch from a, from a health and well-being point of view. I, I have no doubt at all that, that Spurs worked very closely with Rene after the initial incident and then you know the subs- subsequent investigation to ensure that she was perfectly happy and comfortable to go back out on the pitch. I do want to make that perfectly clear that, that the WSL clubs and women's clubs in different leagues up and down the country do very much have the, the welfare of their, of their players at heart. That's reassuring to hear and you know, good to know that they are being looked after. Again, but, I mean, in terms of preparedness for the level of like, attention and scrutiny, that's not going to be something that Renee Hector is going to have expected. Not, not expected, but Renee, along with any other high-profile player within the WSL or any of the other women's leagues and the championship particularly as well, you know, they will have media and comms training. I know that given the high-profile status that the women's game has at the moment, for various different reasons, whether it's the Women's World Cup this year, whether it's the uh, financial injection that Barclays have just committed to the WSL, and Boots have recently announced Mm. uh, some funding as well, which is fantastic on all counts, the whole game, from a women's perspective, is to being taken into consideration. And media and comms training is a large part of, of what the clubs ensure the players experience, um, along with, as I said earlier on, the, you know, the, the physical care. Mm. We're at an unprecedented level in terms of coverage for women's football in this country now, particularly with, as I mentioned earlier on, social media and the impact that that has. Each club's women's team's fan base are growing at the speed of knots, and that's fantastic to see. And one of our focus points, actually, at Kick It Out for the next couple of seasons is to work far more closely with all of the leagues, all of the women's leagues up and down the country, and we're very excited to do that. We have an ambassadorial programme here that we have a lot of um, high-profile female players as well as male players that commit their time to us and we're continuing to work with with them and it's all with the view of of course gender equality within football but it's an exciting time but yes there are incidences like Rene Hector's sad experience awful experience and they will be treated in exactly the same way as incidences within the men's game. Would you like to see our faces? Yes, you would. Mickey is making a face at me right now. Oh, imagine if you could see the face I was making. It's extraordinary how I can stretch my features to such grotesque (laughs) proportions. Well, come and see our faces on June the 8th at the Underbelly Festival on the South Bank in London, where we will be in conversation with Jane Horrocks and more guests TBA. We're also back in Edinburgh for the fourth year, and I mean... 
seriously, last year we got Janine Garofalo and Sue Pollard on the same stage. There's never been such times, but there could be such times again, but with different people. Anyway, there's a way to find that out, and that is to get yourself some tickets. And tickets to all of our shows are available on our website, www.standardissuepodcast.com. Check it out. Check us out. Buy a ticket. (laughs) Thanks. Homophobia in men's football is spoken about a lot. There are no openly gay players in the top four English leagues, I believe. And this is a statistical improbability. So, why is football such a hostile world to gay men? That's a very good question. I think that there are a number of different reasons for that. What I do want to do is is make sure that people are aware that there's an awful lot of work that's going on to provide players, whether it's first team, whether it's academy, whether it's provide environments where players feel comfortable to express themselves, to eventually, if they so choose to come out, that they have the support and the backing of the club as a whole. We know that that's the case and we know that through the equality standards that clubs have to adhere and buy into this process. Um, It's a complex issue, Jen, and it's one that we're working very closely with clubs on in terms of education and training, particularly at the academy level. There are processes that, that players have to go through. There are political connotations, there are personal connotations, there's financial impact, there's all different sorts of... Um, considerations as a player that they would need to really be uh, understanding of Uh, you know it could be a career ender it could be um, that players don't want to project themselves into being the first spokesperson or spokesman for gay men within a professional football club or professional football league it's about ensuring that what goes on in a dressing room enables players to feel comfortable about what goes on on a pitch you know I know from a professional perspective that there's a massive amount of support and a massive amount of work that's going on there are no out gay players at the moment and everyone wants to know everyone wants to know when when this is going to happen when the first player is going to come out I I believe that that will happen through an academy process I, I think that it will take Um, the ongoing education and training and, again, a holistic approach to the development of a player and a person to ensure that they feel comfortable to come out. I don't believe it's going to be a high-profile player, but it's it's a very complex issue. We see it in the women's game. You know, there, there are female players that are out and very happy with being out. And maybe it's, you know, it's a wider issue about the challenges that gay men face generally, as gay women do, of course. But within a football club, of course, it's a big business and things need to be taken into consideration. And at the end of the day, having said all of that, it is the player's decision. So we're sort of told, really, that on the women's side, the picture is a bit different. And as you said, there are a few openly gay female players. But it's not as much as you might expect. So... There are some relatively high-profile current and former players like Casey Stoney, manages Manchester United now, mm-hmm. and Hope Powell, who I think does she manage Brighton. She does. Yes. And but there are fewer than we're sort of led to believe. Mm. It's kind of like the other way round that the expectation is that male players won't be gay, but female players will mm. be. Well, that's a stereotype, isn't yeah. it? And it's it's it. That's true of a lot of sport, not just football. Do you think that that is? damaging 
I mean, it's damaging to a certain degree, but what's potentially more damaging is the effect on a person and a player if they come out and they experience any kind of discrimination. And I think it's pretty much a given that that's going to happen because it happens with every other form of discrimination on a daily basis Mm. to degrees that are entirely unacceptable and very damaging to the people involved. It's an ongoing issue and an ongoing discussion, but I believe that it is, uh, of course, a personal choice. Regardless of the support that's that's shown by clubs, fellow players, um, organisations such as Kick It Out, of course, but at the end of the day, it's a personal issue and a personal decision. And whoever does decide to come out on the men's or the women's side of the game, you know, we will be there to support them um, in every way that we possibly can. I mean, we're sort of led to believe that women's football is a bit more LGBT-friendly than men's. Do you think that... Is that a myth? I think that, given the fact that, as you've highlighted, that there are reasonably, you know, well, very high-profile players and, and managers within the female game, that the suggestion would be that it's a far more welcoming environment. And I think I think the truth is right there. You know, my my opinions are, as I've said before, um, if you create an environment where people are comfortable and feel supported and are assured that it's not going to impact their careers Mm. and their earning potential and what happens, you know, within the white lines of a football pitch, then I'm sure that, you know, in future we will see people more comfortable in their decisions to come out. I think generally women's sport has a stereotype around it that that if you are LGBT+, that you're in a far more relaxed, comfortable, supported, nurturing environment. I think it's true in some cases, but in lots of cases it's not. The focus is often on players and I think this is this the same actually for on the racism side of things. The focus is always on players. What about the people watching at home? What about the impact on them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think any anybody that has any any reasonable awareness and understanding of you know the ramifications and the domino effect of of incidences that happen uh, within high profile football, professional football. Of course, you know it's going to have uh, huge effects on people, particularly the young people, you know, and and young fans and supporters and young players. It sends out messages that you know result in fear and apprehension, and you know. Parents don't want to take kids to football matches because, you know, we see what's happening. They hear things and they see things that, of course, are going to have an impact. And that is why it's extremely important that um, the governing bodies and, and, and stakeholders within the professional game work collectively to ensure that the strong message of zero tolerance is one that's out there consistently and in a very positive, strong way, week after week after week. Do you think we are any closer to achieving a more equal football community in terms of LGBTQ plus rights? Wow, Jen, what a, what, a, what a question to finish up on. Yes, I do. I do think that. And I, I, and I think that quite emphatically because I know the work that goes into ensuring that, that we provide that platform. On the issue of LGBTQ+, Kick It Out works very closely with um, Stonewall and other organisations, as well as the FA and the EFL and the other governing bodies. To ensure an environment is there, as I said previously, that people feel comfortable. It's, it's got a long way to go. You know, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But we will continue to work closely with clubs, players, stakeholders and governing bodies 
to provide an environment where, where players feel very strongly supported and that's what Kick It Out is all about. We campaign for equality and anti-discrimination across the board and 25 years of doing so has seen many positive changes and, and I'm excited to continue the work um, through the Pro Clubs team in the south of the country with my other counterparts in the mids and the north to ensure that you know that we do exactly that. Where can we find out more about Kick It Out? We're very prevalent on Twitter. We've got a um, Facebook page as well. Um, we've got a fantastic new website that launched at the end of last year. And we're extremely accessible by phone, email, and, and any other form of communication that people want to contact us by. Um, we have a, a, t- a small team of 20, as I said earlier, I believe, up and down the country. And uh, if anybody wants to find anything out, there are a number of different ways to do so. But check out the website. All of our contact details are on there. So whichever area of football you want to find out more about, then there's there's somebody that you can contact here to discuss it with. Because you're doing all sorts of other things as well. You have education programmes and mentoring programmes and we things do. like that. So we do. you're bringing more underrepresented groups into football Absolutely. across all yeah. different areas. We so. are doing exactly that. What can people do at home to help progress the cause of Kick It Out and, and you know end discrimination in football? Well, what I, I would strongly suggest is that particularly if you're a supporter and you're a fan and you attend games, is to use our reporting app. Be vocal if you feel comfortable to do so. Use our direct reporting email and let us know what's going on out there. We can only challenge it if we know about it and we rely heavily on fans uh, and supporters up and down the country to let us know what's going on. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, thank you. Thanks for listening. Do you know what is super helpful? It is super helpful if you pop over to iTunes and rate and review us. Oh, and while you're there, if you're not already subscribed, do that too. Thanks very much. Standard Issue for All Women.